0: breakfast this coming Saturday Lord the youth aftershock, the young professionals group the college ministries the youth ministries men's God let all these ministries to succeed not for us but to win souls to heaven to have people follow Christ and to share the love of Christ I pray now as Austin um, shares your word Lord continue to strengthen him and embolden him as he leads with wisdom Father God we love you In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you can now please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading from verses 10 through 17. And if you're able, can you please stand in reverence to God's word? I'll be reading from the ESV version. So Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. You may be seated.
1: Well, we begin this part of the service with the question, is Jesus enough? Is he enough to really supply his people with all that we need? I remember the hymn when I was a boy, you know, and we would just uh, repeat the phrase, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Even went so far to say, I, I need thee every hour. And I remember thinking, well, you know, that's a bit much, isn't it? I mean, to think that I would need Jesus every hour of my life and yet it pointed to something I think profound that echoes down from scripture through the ages and that is that Jesus is more than enough for us you know sometimes I'm tempted to think say, well Jesus is certainly an important part of an aspect of my life you know spiritual dimension but there's a whole lot of things that I need besides him in order to get on with the world say not so fast That what we're reminded of today in our passage is of what has classically been taught, the sufficiency of Christ or the excellencies of Christ or the surpassing riches of Christ, that he alone will supply his people and provide for those who are his with all that they need for the task that he has ordained. I hope at the end of our time, say the main thrust of this message, that in a cluttered world, where we often incline towards self-sufficiency, that we'll see that Jesus is more than enough for all of our needs. Now, this passage presents a bit of a challenge in that it's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels that is outside the resurrection. So clearly, this made a big impression on all four Gospel writers, something that's really central to the core of what Jesus wanted to do and teach. And so what's happening, kind of set up the context here. You remember last week, the disciples are dispatched marvelously, this group of fishermen. You know, it's a tax collector in there. They're sent out to do what? To preach. To preach to tell the world about what God has done in Jesus, that there's a way to be right with God, that is to surrender to Christ and come to the one who is the rightful king. Now, this must have been an exhausting journey, an exciting one, no doubt. So out they go. They would have had lots of stories, probably a lot of uh, different things to tell Jesus. And the moments come, they've all gone, come back together after this great expedition, and what they want is some quiet time with the master. It seems like a sensible thing to do. You know, let's get together and debrief about what uh, this initial mission. And so what they decide to do is to kind of withdraw to a desolate place in order to have a conversation about the first preaching tour. But the word gets out. And the crowds, as we've seen, is you know a bit of a, a movement around Jesus now, is that they follow them out to a desolate place. And unlike what I would be inclined to do, say, what would I be saying? Actually, everybody, this... Meeting's kind of off limits. You go back home, I've got to talk to my team here. That's what you would think would happen, but no, Jesus, and the other accounts say, had compassion on them, and what did he do? Well, of course, he preached the kingdom of God, didn't he? He's telling them about God acting in the world and reconciling how you can be right with God. He's teaching them the kingdom of God and curing them, and this is a very successful, I would presume, evangelistic meeting, but a problem arises. It's actually a pretty serious problem. That they're way out in the remote parts, right? The word's not so much desert as desolate place, and the hour's getting late. And as the revival started, that it swelled in size, but also that it wasn't supposed to go into the evening, and so people are starting to get hungry. More than that, some are saying, well, we got to do something, because where are all of us going to sleep? It's going to get cold out here. What's the plan? And the disciples realized this, and I think... At the human level, they've got, they've got the way better plan, don't they? Say, Jesus, it's getting late. We didn't tell anybody to pack a lunch. They're out way far from their villages. You've got to send them home. And Jesus, you would say, again, as we've seen time and time again, at the one level, you almost see how this had come off as mocking. What does he tell them to do? He says, don't send them away for food. What's he say? He says... You feed them. So what the disciples say there? We can't feed them. The crowd is too vast, 5,000 of them. We can't feed them. And what we'll see is that God, in Jesus, supplies those there with all that they need. So a couple of moves in this famous passage. The first is those of us who are even a little biblically literate. You say, well, this has some echoes to other stories in the Bible, doesn't it? One of the reasons I like, don't feel bad if you didn't today, but I'm, uh, with, with fair regularity, I hope to bring up the fact that I really like everyone to bring a physical Bible to church. This isn't just because uh, I like books, though I do. There's a reason for it. That is because this helps the people of God appreciate canon that there's an overarching story of history, that there's a closed uh, communication, right? God has self-disclosed, that vast God out there who's, who's infinite. How are we gonna know anything about him? Well, he's given us what we need to know about him through history in a closed set of communication. That it's, it, it's everything that we need to go get, to be right with him. And what you'll see is when you read something like Luke 9, 10 to 17, it immediately triggers some other things that you would have read. It takes us firstly, I think, back To the Exodus. Remember, God's people liberated from Egypt. They're out wandering in the desert. You say, This is a desolate place. What are they going to eat as they're wandering in the desert? Exodus 16 says, God supplied the manna from heaven that God fed the people as they had need. And you remember that story, what the Israelites were to do? God said, I will supply you with enough each day. Don't collect more than you need. And he does this to test them, to make sure they're obeying his word, that each day he supplied enough bread. On the sixth day, he'd give twice the amount. They could take twice the amount so they could rest on the Sabbath. In other words, in the grand liberation narrative of Scripture, that is the Israelites being brought out of Exodus, right smack dab in the middle of that account is that God provides for his people for the task at hand comes up again in the psalms and all over the place god providing during the exodus maybe more striking parallel even yet comes from second kings chapter 4 listen to this this is with the prophet elisha a man came from baal shalisha bringing the man of god bread of the first fruits 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. You say, now that's awfully close to Luke 9, isn't it? That the man of God has a few loaves, and he's told by the Lord to feed a great mass of people, actually a much smaller mass of people there, are only 100 people, and it's done according to the word of the Lord. In other words, anybody who's biblically literate, as we're all striving to become more biblically literate in a biblically illiterate age, would know there's a long history of God providing for his people when he calls them to a task and that's no different in the ministry of Jesus and it's no different for us. And behind this I think no not explicit as we'll see later more explicitly in chapter 9 that Luke's started to make a comparison. He's comparing this Jesus to two towering figures of the Old Testament soon more Elijah's going to make but in this case Moses and Elisha. Say, so now that's quite a duo to be compared with, right? You're taking the, this key figure of the Exodus, Moses, a key prophet, in Elijah, and you're showing Jesus as even more impressive than them. So by way of an illustration today, I think that this comes across to our minds in the sport analogy of, of the goat, See, I'm in these debates all the time about the goat. I mean, being a Clevelander, you know, I remember Michael Jordan and the shots and Michael Jordan and LeBron James, the goat, you know, the greatest of all time. The point is, is that when you get in conversations about the goat, uh, you're approximating two people that are are quite impressive. You say, I would never be compared to Jack Nicholas in my golf game. You say that would be a, a silly thing to do, that you approximate people that are lofty figures, right, that are of such significance, you're arguing who of them is the greatest. And what Luke's saying here is that Jesus is, is uh, like Moses and that God acted through him, but he's way more impressive. He's like Elijah, but infinitely, 50 times just by the number of people, right, 100 to 5,000 people there, that he's way more impressive than Moses and Elijah, So what do you think of this? The question through these middle chapters of Luke, it comes up, you say, one of the things Luke's trying to get every reader to do is to answer the question, who Jesus is. 749, who is this who can forgive our sins? 825, who is this that commands the water and the winds and the waves? How about Herod last week? Who is this about whom I hear such things? Ladies and gentlemen, every person should answer this question. Who is Jesus? Seems like most weeks I meet somebody. This week I did. Well, I don't, you know, I just, I just don't think about it. It's just it's not important. And I, what I try to say is, well, you, you, you have answered the question. You've answered in the way that Jesus is not that important to you. And I say that is a way of answering it. And if you're a Christian, I pray that you have answered that, that this Jesus is the Lord of glory, that he's not just like Moses or like Elijah, but that he is, in fact, Moses and Elijah's maker, that he's God himself and our Savior. And if you're not a Christian, I pray you're not like many I talk to and say, well, I just can brush this aside and it doesn't concern me, to see that that is a very serious choice. But to ask with Herod to ask with the disciples, the people in our narrative, and all through history, who is this Jesus? What do I do with him? Is he the Lord of glory? Did this, in fact, happen? If he multiplied these loaves and fed them in a fashion greater even than Moses and Elijah, is this just fable? What do I do with it? Can I see Jesus for who he is? Friends, point number one, there's an established history of God providing for his people. When Jesus comes on the scene and does that, you say, this is the very character of God, and we're to be drawn into his very person. So God provides for those who are his. Both heading number two, again, kind of feeding, uh, c- continuing on this, is that God cares for those who listen to him. We start with, really, the food that spoils. And then we'll move to the food that doesn't spoil. But the food that spoils, you say, why did God make us that we need to eat regularly? You ever think about that? It's kind of, no matter where you go, uh, all of us, I say, I eat at least three times a day. Some people, maybe you do intermittent fasting or something, but you eat at least once, twice a day. Say, no matter where you go, humans need to eat with fair regularity. It's a bit like sleep. And I think God, in his infinite wisdom, one of the ways, reasons he did this is to humble us. They say, God, I am in need three times a day, at least the average where we live, say three times a day I'm in need of having provision or I'm not going to make it, or at the very least, if I miss a meal, I'm in a bad mood, really discouraging how many studies show we make such bad decisions if we miss just one meal. They say, if that's not something that humbles us, but all I have to do is go a few hours past my scheduled meal, meal and my, my mental faculties aren't what they could be. If that doesn't make me dependent and needy upon provision, I don't know what will. You think of the Lord's Prayer. Remember that line? We just say it, but what's it say? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we're dependent upon you to provide for your people, and we look to you to your supply. Now, I remember reading a book on prayer uh, a number of years ago, and it talked about an episode of The Simpsons where Bart is asked to pray. And Bart prays. He says, Lord, we paid for all this stuff, so thanks for nothing. That's his prayer. You say, now, people don't say that, but that's often the mindset, isn't it? Well, I have the things that I do because I've provided for myself, and I've outthought the others, and I'm doing just fine. That All of uh, the nice things that I have are because I'm great. And I would say that I think that one of the chief hazards we have here in our church family, because God has endowed us with so many gifts, is to incline towards self-sufficiency and forgetting about him. To say, God, I have what I do because I'm a clever guy and I work hard. And to push God to the side and forget that he provides what we need that we have food on our tables and clothes on our back and the houses that we do because God has been so very kind to us. Say so that's not to take anything away from hard work, say not at all, but don't you think that God has supplied us with the grace to be productive, the grace to have the roles that we do, See, God's people must always say, God, I depend on you for my daily provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. In the same way these folks here, right, they're out and needy and in need of food as every human has throughout history. God, we need you to supply us with what we need. Think of all the, passages in the bible that talk this way about god providing what we need you know psalm 23 famous passage as the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want." right the lord is my shepherd he's going to supply what i need may that be the posture of god's people been thinking a lot of, uh, lately, I, I think of it a lot, Proverbs 30, Proverbs 30 is written, written by a guy named Agur. lost to history, other than Proverbs 30, which is a legacy enough, right, but Proverbs 30, A-G-U-R, writes this proverb, verses 8 and 9, and what, what Agur says, he says, Lord, keep me from poverty, because if I'm in poverty, I'm, I'm going to be miserable, and I'm going to be starving, and I might even be, be tempted to steal, so d- d- Lord, don't make me too poor, but he also says, he says, Lord, don't make me a rich man. Because if I'm a rich man, I'm going to forget about you. And I'm going to take credit for myself. And I think that middle tension here, right, what we're to get as we think about God providing for his people to say, God is going to supply me with what I need for the task that he's assigned. That last part's crucial because I think right what I'm talking about here, here comes, I know there's a big objection here, isn't there? okay, he's talking about how God provides for the people, but what about all the people in the world who are starving, who don't have their basic needs met? You know, what about all those? God's not supplied them with what they need. And what I would say is God promises to supply us with what we need for the task that he has assigned us. So if the task assigned to us is to minister faithfully in avon and these surrounding suburbs that is to point as many people as we can to what god has done in jesus right to say god's acting in jesus come to him repent of your sins turn to him be right with god that's our task that he's going to supply us with what we need to do that task for as long as he has ordained friends again all that we have god supplied us with the energy and the grace to get it done, but it comes ultimately from his hand that provision and our daily bread and the good things are from God, not from ourselves. May we always keep an eye on that. So again, Luke sets this up. What's he saying? He's saying, look, Jesus is God himself. He's a way more impressive figure than Moses and Elijah, and God has a long history of providing for his people. And you know what, church? Down to us. He provides for you, too, in the same way that he's provided here. He'll give you your daily needs for the task that he's assigned as you trust him. Now, that's the food that spoils. I think behind this whole passage, it's not really about the food that spoils. It's not really about the loaves and the fish and feeding the crowd on this occasion. You say, yeah, that's impressive. But it's about something much more. It's about Christian life and ministry. It's been said that the, the miracles are acted out parables. You say parables are teaching on what it's like to be under Jesus's authority. Well, a miracle is much the same way, only it's acted out. And you say, I don't think this is fundamentally about God providing food that spoils, though as I just said, he does that. But it's about how he provides food that doesn't spoil. It's about a nourishment that will endure. You could ask, why doesn't Jesus just do this himself? Say, that would be the sensible thing to do. I mean, why does he say this, you disciples feed them? It's as if he wants to show them how to do the ministry, how to feed the people. And so I think what's happening behind all this, why this passage is in all four Gospels, is because the different components represent a different aspect of Christian life and ministry. So who's the crowd? Well, let's see, the the crowd is the great mass of people, needy and dependent and lost. They're out in a desolate place, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But they're completely out of resources, and they're dependent upon Jesus to do something. Now, friends, I know say it doesn't seem like when we meet the eyes, a lot of people out there say are are lost and you know kind of uh, asking big questions. But actually, I think they are. I think there's a whole lot of people in our midst that have very deep questions, that they're psychologically questioning and hurt and emotionally up and down. Say all kinds, right? All of us were that way, lost and out in the open, in a desolate place, in need of help from the outside. Say that's every person is like this crowd. Who's gonna help us? You know, Mark's account of this, you read Mark chapter six, good thing to do to read all four of the accounts as I have in the notes, but Mark six says, Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and then he says this, because they were sheep without a shepherd i think that's true the great mass of humanity is out there kind of wandering around trying to climb the the, the corporate ladder to get the next thing done to trying to keep it all together under their home you say but they're like sheep without a shepherd because they don't follow the chief shepherd the lord jesus that we're all out there lost until god finds us now who are the disciples the disciples represent the work of gospel ministry so what do you say if you're there that day? Jesus, send them home. They're hungry. They're going to get angry or hangry. And you've got to send them off into the villages to have a place to, to sleep. You gotta, and Jesus says, you feed them. I know what I'd say. I have nothing to give them. I have nothing to give other people. To do so would be supremely arrogant or to greatly misjudge. Say, 5,000 people being fed with five loaves and two fish, it's an impossible task, there's no way it's happening. Jesus, I have nothing to give the people. And Jesus is right. But I will supply what you give the people. And you facilitate the action. See, I think that's a brilliant visual of the Christian ministry. Say, I have nothing as I go forth into the world, and I represent the Lord Jesus, and I speak about him, say, I have nothing on my own strength to give, and yet as Jesus supplies that he's at work in us so that the people in our lives hopefully are fed and nourished. And one more word about this idea of nourishing. Oftentimes in Scripture, sitting under the authority of the Bible— or uh, meditating, thinking about the completed work of Jesus is compared to eating. Have you noticed how many times that comes up? So often in your in your spiritual growth, you know, Paul and Peter talk about this. They say, when you first become a Christian, it's like you can just have the milk. Anybody that's been around an infant, you know what that's like. That's all their systems can take. But as they grow, we hope as you grow, you're able to feed on the spiritual meat. Uh, You know, Jeremiah 3.15, God says, I'm gonna send shepherds so that they might feed you. John chapter 21, what's Jesus tell Peter? He says, feed the sheep. All the time, reading God's word and being under him and meditating on it is compared to eating, or as Jesus says, right, when he's tempted, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, that there's a kind of nourishment, there's a kind of food that doesn't spoil, but one that sinks down deep. And gives us energy and hope. And we act this out every month, visually, as a church family, in the Lord's Supper. Say nobody here thinks that that little cup and that little wafer is about the food that spoils. Say, well, this is a very lousy meal indeed. I'm not, I'm not filled up at all. See, nobody says that. Say the Lord's Supper is about feeding on the completed work of Jesus that I can be right with God, that as I recognize who I am as a sinner and a rebel, that God put forth Jesus and his broken body and his blood, they avail for me, that as I feed on him, right, spiritually, that I'm renewed to go out into the world and to do my task in a very real way. The completed work of Jesus is the food. It is the food that doesn't spoil. And what an encouragement this is in Christian ministry. say, I remember this was a... This hit me uh, pretty hard, but I remember You know, I'd preach on a Sunday and say I'd be out somewhere at one of the stores and I'd run into somebody and they'd say, you know what, I remember in the middle of your sermon you were making this point and, and what was the next point you made there? And I'd say, you know what, I, I don't remember. And it occurred to me that I, I don't remember very many of the sermons that I give. And my guess is if I don't remember them as the speaker, that all of you as the hearers, you don't remember very many that I've given. Uh, so if I gave you a quiz of a sermon a few weeks ago, say, I, I, I wouldn't pass. I don't think you would either. Uh, as we read our Bibles, we don't remember everything. You say, well, what, what, God, you tell us to you know, sit under your word and to hear the word preached and to read the word, and yet we can't remember it and we can't often recall it. So this was such a great gift to me. Sitting under God's word is like eating. So my mom, from 1984, well into my early 20s, prepared a lot of meals for me, thousands of meals, packed lunches, breakfast before school, nice dinners, quick dinners, all kinds of meals. I don't remember, I don't remember very many of them individually, but I'll tell you what, I knew that I needed every one of those to survive, to be nourished, to feel love, to keep going. Say, I think that's why God gives us this wonderful metaphor of his word being like feeding. Each Sunday we come, we have a meal of God's word. We read our Bibles in the morning, you say there's a bit more nourishment. And in reading and plodding along, say I don't remember all of it, but I know it's exactly what I needed to keep going, that God would provide for me my daily needs for what I need You see, friends, behind Luke chapter 9, there is, yes, the food that spoils, which we're dependent upon God for the food that spoils, but more importantly, there is a food that doesn't spoil. That is what God has done in Christ. And wonderfully, verse 17, our last point today, say there's a key word there. Not only was there leftover, a lot of leftover, this is a different word for basket, so vast amounts of leftovers from the five loaves and the two fish, 12 baskets, full baskets, leftover. But they all ate and we're satisfied. <sighs> that word is so elusive for me. I, I think Lewis was exactly right when he said, many of us are pleased, very few of us are satisfied. I know the Germans have a phrase, jetzt bin ich aber zufrieden, now I'm completely satisfied. I said, that is so rarely, rarely me. And I'm always striving and pushing and complaining and maneuvering Very rarely do I say, you know what, I'm satisfied. And this word here, I think, is what we're to be when we realize the perfect provision and the sufficiency in Christ, that we can be completely satisfied in him, that nothing else we can get our hands on or our minds on, nothing we can produce will ever satisfy a human, but a relationship with Jesus and feeding on him, that this alone is what we need to be satisfied. So when we talk about the riches of Christ, what are we talking about? We're talking about his supreme love. You say, maybe you've been neglected. Say, this is a terrible day because you were not loved well by your dad. Say, well, wait a second. God has acted in Christ, and I'm supremely loved. He's overflowing with love, that he's rich in love, and I can delight in that. For that thing you did back in high school. The things you said to your spouse. Things you did against your spouse. People you've swindled. Say, the forgiveness of Christ is more than enough. Is more than enough to forgive you of those things. Because he's rich in mercy and forgiveness. You see the sufficiency he provides for us in every possible way. Say, I know some in the congregation today, lousy couple of weeks. Then let go at your job. Here you go again. Say, Jesus is enough for you he's going to provide for you as you trust him for the task that he set before you and in so doing you'll minister to others at least two here today lost a loved one this week I know of a grandma who died and a brother who died maybe some others I don't know about say is Christ sufficient for you can he bind up the wounds and give you hope you say you bet he can he's sufficient and he's rich and he's all we need say others of us you say you're just in a desolate place your kids have rebelled kids need a medical procedure you'd say I'm just like this crowd I'm out in a place of nowhere who's going to provide for me who's going to look after me say well here he is will you come to him those of us who are Christians you say he's all we need I trust him with whatever I face he's rich you're not a Christian you have a lot of money and you're not a Christian diagnosis here is you're very poor maybe you feel very poor deep down because money and things does not satisfy and it certainly is no balm it's no ointment and no balm for the hardest things in life but can you see in Christ you can be satisfied and you can be full friends God provides for his people he always has he always will for those of us in this congregation We've not gotten to where we are because we're greater than all the rest, but because God has been so kind to us and in his grace has allowed us to press on and has entrusted us with so much. With all the difficulties we face as a body, to know that Christ will sustain us for the task that he has before us, and may we never forget that, we end by praying with Paul, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'll pray as the team comes back up. Lord, I can't imagine being there that day and hearing those words, you feed them. May we sense that as the charge for the Christian is to go out into the world and to feed the people, for our response to be, Lord, we have nothing to give them, but only by what you supply, by what you supernaturally supply, can we have any impact. May we not lose focus of our mission to win people, christ lord for the deep challenges that we face on the human level in our congregation that we doubt whether your son is enough that we scramble we move to our own devices we get down on ourselves may we not may we see the real thrust of this passage that jesus provides and that all can be satisfied in him In a time, Lord, where we are so easily uh, told not to be satisfied to keep going, help us to see the majestic uh, uniqueness of Christ. That we can rest and not spurn. May that win the day. May we build each other up in this truth, the sufficiency and riches of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Church, let's respond with singing praises to the Lord for the truth we have in Scripture. Let's stand together.